Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing the studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All right, thank you, Kaylin, for reading that. And it's good to hear from you from Spain. We also have friends from Japan. So this is really sweet to be able to gather around the world. Um, just a quick thumbs up from people, if you can hear me. Make sure the sound's working. We're good, okay, great. All right, let's get started here. Um, this is for Flat Rock, for the Flat Rockers. Uh, this is gonna be our last sermon in, in this book. We're gonna continue our wisdom series that we're calling The Quest for Wisdom. Uh, but actually, I think providentially looking at the book of Job and his tremendous suffering that he experienced at the hands of God um, for, his, um, for his own sanctification, for his own ultimate uh, good, for our good, to see how a man can remain in faith and in relationship with God through uh, tremendous suffering. So I think that that obviously will be very applicable to us. We've already mentioned Job a lot in this series because uh, there's a lot of wisdom for us to, to glean from the way in which he suffered well and even didn't suffer well at certain points. Um, so I think that'll be particularly helpful for us, but for the people from Redeemer Fellowship and anyone else who's coming into this series, I do think um, it is again providential that we're in this book right now because uh, as we've seen, Ecclesiastes forces us to ask a lot of um, existential questions. Like what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? What are we doing? And obviously this situation, this as we talked about last week, this shared suffering we're all experiencing is causing us to, to come together and ask those questions and seek answers. And God uses moments like this in history to do that, to wake us up, um, to bring us up out of our apathy. We know that in the American church and American culture, um, we are quick to wander away from God and to get really comfortable with the things that we have and the, the, the power and the control that we think we have in our own hands. Um, seeing that we really aren't in power. We aren't in control of everything that goes on in the world. Um, but there's a God who is. And God is reminding us of that. So um, this, these particular verses here, these six verses, are actually written um, by another author. The, the main author of Ecclesiastes is a guy named Koheleth, which just means the preacher or the convener, a guy who gathers people together. We believe that he's gathering God's people together at the end of his life to um, share with them and impart to them the wisdom he's learned is he's had everything in his access as a king, as one in power, to go and find satisfaction all these different ways, and none of it is lasting. And the only lasting satisfaction he discovers in the middle of the book is in relationship to God's people and with God. And so he, we glean all this wisdom from the, the life experiences that he has to save us from not, from understanding that we don't need to go to these, these empty cisterns. Um, to find life we or these worldly ways, but we need to ultimately go to God. That's what we're made for. 
Um, and that's ultimate wisdom is understanding that. And so this, this other writer, this frame narrator, as they call him, is actually giving a summary here at the end of the book to affirm what Koheleth has said and affirm the progression of how he's learned these things. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll dig in here. Uh, we do thank you for your word. Nourish us, encourage us, convict us. Lord, search the areas of our hearts. As one friend texted me this morning, use this season and this time to reach the frontier areas of our hearts that evil has stolen away, that evil has attacked, to bring us great freedom in all areas of our being, or that we might experience what it is to be free in Christ. Help us, Lord, we know that you use your word to do that. For those who are not experiencing that freedom, who are in bondage, may you free them this morning by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so start off with verse 9. Verse 9 kind of sets the stage for what this frame narrator is saying. He writes, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging Proverbs with great care. So this narrator is leaving us with, with this thought. He's affirming Kohel's approach, not only imparting to the children of Israel what it means to be but that he sought to give people the knowledge for how to apply it to their lives as well. That's what he's saying. Just as we've been trying to do this whole series, we talked about how God, um, how godly wisdom teaches us to choose the path of humility rather than the path of pride. Those are the two, the two choices we have in this life. We can go down the path of pride or the path of humility. And the path of pride is characterized by independence and indulgence and image management and self-inflation. And Koheleth has gone down that path fully to the end of himself. Until he, until he realized where he needed to be, which is the path of humility. And it was through the brokenness of the path of pride that he, that he was able to be put on the path of humility, which is characterized by surrender and trust and dependence and vulnerability and suffering and death and resurrection, life, glory, and intimacy. And for many of us who are going through this, this shared suffering together globally, we, we're beginning to see that. Our, our need to walk this path of humility. Um, Koheleth also taught us to look for wisdom amongst the people of God in the house in union with God. And so verse nine tells us that Koheleth was careful to arrange his words in order and with great care to tell his story in this progression of him seeking satisfaction and wisdom from every earthly means um, to finally finding true lasting satisfaction in relationship to God. And those earthly means that he sought were pleasure and wealth and power and possessions and they obviously did not satisfy. Many of us have tried things ourselves to, to no end um, or to the end of discovering they don't satisfy. And so this frame there is confirming Kohel's discoveries. He's summarizing his takeaways. And these are the three things he notices about how wisdom is meant to help us. It's to do three things, to help us delight in God, to direct our hope towards him, and to fulfill our duty. So so godly wisdom is given to help us delight in God, direct our hope towards him, and fulfill our duty. So verse 10 is this part about delight. What does it mean to delight in God? That's the ultimate purpose of wisdom. That Even in the garden with Adam and Eve, we talked about how he dispenses wisdom to Adam and Eve as his children in proper dosage as they can handle it, just like we do with our children. We don't overwhelm them with too much knowledge about how the world works in all its goodness, but also in its brokenness because they wouldn't know what to do with that. And that's how God meant to interact with Adam and Eve, is to give them wisdom and proper dosage and knowledge and understanding about the world and him. Um, but obviously they sought to learn more, to take it for themselves, and that's where sin entered the picture. 
Um, but God was giving that wisdom to Adam and Eve to help them delight in him because that's their purpose. And so um, the narrator here is affirming Kohela's quest for delight and satisfaction. It was his Kohela's intention to teach us what it means to find and enjoy true delight in God. And he obviously began the book with words of dissatisfaction. He talks about the oppression that he saw in the world and the sadness and the, the suffering, how unfair life is. Um, but his conclusion was that that life was hevel, as we've talked about. It's smoke, it's vapor, it's meaningless apart from relationship with God. And the only lasting delight he found was when he turned to the people of God for community. Just to review here real quick, you know, we defined wisdom as the skill of living well. And we live well when we see the world as God does. Life is smoke, life is temporary, life is fleeting, as Koheleth has told us. It's an enigma, it's a paradox. Like smoke, here's solid, it appears that we can hold on to things by our own power to some semblance of control or um, achievement. But then you grab onto it and it quickly, it quickly moves through your fingers like smoke, like beauty and goodness. You know, many of us before this uh, corona thing hit, life may have been good and things are working in our favor and our careers are going really well. And then these things are taken away from us and tragedy strikes. And that's the, all that goodness we were experiencing seems to just be blown away um, in an instant. And health is saying, this is the way of the world. This is the way we've all experienced life. You're not alone in that. We've all experienced this before. This is not novel to you. Life is constantly unpredictable. It's unstable and ever-changing while also staying the same. So he talks about creation. You know, there's constant reliable rhythms to creation, but there's also unpredictable tragedies and trials. This is all of our experience. But the only way to live well through the ups and downs of life is to seek to understand life from God's perspective that he gives through his word. And that is what spurs true delight in us because it's what our hearts were made for. God talks about how he's written his law on our hearts. So until we find our satisfaction in him, we won't find it in any this, And when we do that delight, that, that wisdom that gives us delight, it helps us navigate and understand the trials um, in life and their purpose to maintain delight in God. This is wisdom's original purpose. God gave it in the garden and he gives it to us now. He's always given it to man. We, we talk about in our denomination that the chief end of man is to, our purpose is to glorify and enjoy him forever. So God is going to use every means possible for us to, to understand um, through good means first, what it is to delight in him. But if that's not working, which it usually doesn't because we're sinful people, we're living life under the sun as Koheleth talks about in exile from the garden. We're, 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 we're prone to wander away from God. And so what God will do is he'll bring about wisdom through disruption. And that, that, that's our second point, to direct our, our hope towards him. He'll disturb us. Um, he'll disorient us. He'll um, disrupt our lives to teach us true wisdom. We see this with children, you know, to under, for a child, for my, my son, Henry, who's um, one and a half, for him to learn that fire burns, sometimes he has to get close to something that's hot. You know, to learn that he can get hurt, he has to fall off a chair um, and learn that he shouldn't be standing on top of the chair the way he is. So we have to learn through painful means a lot of the time, and God understands this. So look at verse 11 through 12. It says, um, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. And this is interesting here because it's the first time this, this phrase is used. He says, 
they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. One reason, and there's a lot of debate over who the frame narrator is here, but I think it's King Solomon, and I think it's because of this language. Because his dad used that same language about a shepherd, a shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death with his son, with the people that he loves. And I think what Solomon is saying is he's, he's taking that same language that these collected words are given so that we, they're given by the one shepherd. They're given by God. And so he's, what he's doing is he's affirming, this is really important. He's affirming that Kohelis words are the words of God. They're, his findings are given to us by the hand of God to teach us about wisdom and what our true purpose is to direct our hope towards him. And he, he, it's used in this familiar, my son, beware of anything beyond this word, beyond these words of truth. And he talks about of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What he's saying is, you don't have to keep exhausting yourself looking for the truth elsewhere. You can read all the books in the world, and it's good to read, it's good to study, but you don't have to exhaust yourself trying to add to this. This is enough. Um, that his truth is sufficient. So he's, he's affirming the, efficient, the sufficiency of God's word here, sufficiency of Kohelis' findings. And he's saying this one shepherd, uh, I heard a, heard a guy earlier this week talk about Jesus as the valley walker. Um, and I just love that language, especially in the time that we're going through, that he is our valley walker, um, that he knows what it is to walk to the floor of the valley of the shadow of death because and so he's with us, even in the midst of our own confusion and sadness and brokenness. Uh, this is, this is a, the great truth about Christianity. If you're on the fence about whether you believe in Christianity or not, this is, this is the great hope we have as Christians, that our God walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that our God is the valley walker um, who walks with us through pain and trial and suffering for good purposes and good ends to give us wisdom, to give us his wisdom and his understanding. Um, this wisdom is given to teach us to find our delight in God, but the sober reality of it is that in this broken world, that wisdom is usually not received uh, except through pain. That pain that then turns to, that you can trust, that as God uses the goads as it talks about, which is interesting language too, because the other part of scripture where the word goads is used is when Jesus, um, uh, um, when Jesus saved Paul, Paul or Saul, um, on the road to Damascus in that blinding light. And he asked Paul, he said, it's, why are you kicking against these goads? Because goads are these tools, this instrument used by shepherds. Um, they put it around the sheep's neck and it would have these nails in it and would help keep the sheep's head straight. So the sheep would walk in one direction or a farm animal would walk in one direction. And if they move their head even slightly, those, they would feel that nail and it would keep their head straight. And God's saying, my word, the wisdom that I give from my word is meant to keep your head straight. And so a lot of us have been living our lives, especially recently, looking left and right, looking to other sources. And God is saying, I'm going to use the disruption in your life. Keep your head straight as the goads, if you will. Um, and it's painful, but it's good. And it has purpose in it. And we, that's, what, as, that's what we can trust during times like this. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear the disruption. We can know that it's, it's putting our heads on straight, if you will. Um, and that God's instructions for us is often 
it's, it's often mainly only understood through pain, loss, and disappointment. It reinforces what we're uh, meant to look for wisdom in, which is God and, and in his word. Our good shepherd applies painful reminders in our life to direct us in the way that we should go. Um, Proverbs 3.12, just to, uh, the, the, the wisdom language affirms this in books, but just one example is Proverbs 3.12, where it says, for him the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And my encouragement to you all is that in these moments of shared suffering, I think one of the healthiest things that we can do, it always reminds me, I've said it a, a bunch of times, but um, of the G.K. Chesterton essay when, when he was asked to write about what's wrong with the world and his whole essay just said, I am, I'm what's wrong with the world. And after, um, you know, a, a great war and devastation around the world, and he, he looks at himself and says, I'm what's wrong with the world. And I think as the Christian, we can do that. We can look ourselves in the mirror and let this bring us to moments of repentance instead of blame. Um, and I think that's a big distinction. I think that's a big distinction of what it is to be wise, to first look at our own hearts and our own lives, to look ourselves in the mirror when things are out of control and let that bring us to humility and repentance. That's what God is using this for. Um, I was meeting with my small group this week and we were talking about one of the passages for our devotional was um, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when the disciples fall asleep. And Jesus says to them, you know, it's crazy that Jesus asked them to do this in this moment. He says, keep watch over me and for me. And the disciples fall asleep. And we were talking about how we're like the disciples in that we often become complacent and apathetic because we don't understand what's at stake. If the disciples knew what Jesus was going to do for them and what was at stake in their sin and the, the brokenness of the world and what Jesus was going to remedy and fix, they would have been wide awake for sure. But they forgot that and they didn't understand that. And so it took Jesus going on the cross and for some of them it even took his resurrection for them to wake up. And that, that a lot of us have fallen asleep. We've become complacent. We're not watching over ourselves, our own hearts, or the hearts of others. And so it's going to take extreme measures sometimes to wake us up. We're like those disciples. Um, many of us have also been, in being woken up to this, um, it's been, I don't know if you all have noticed this, but I've noticed that it, there's been a lot of benefits to this extreme and unique um, time at home and being with family, that it's not all bad or discovering they're being reoriented and redirected to things that they've been missing in their life. They're feeling alive to God sometimes in, in some ways for the first time, the first time in a long time. Some of us are pursuing God in ways we hadn't pursued him in a long time. Many of us feel closer to him in what's happened. We feel closer and connected to the community of faith as we're doing this zoom thing. Um, having said that, I understand some of you don't, um, some of you probably feel sad. Maybe you still feel angry or depressed or mad at God, but at least it's, it's waking up a feeling in you that needs to be directed to God. That's what wisdom calls us to do. And it, it's setting you up to delight in God. That's its purpose. Um, until, and that may not happen until this veil of suffering is lifted, but it will happen. And I can tell you this, wherever you are right now, that we can know that God is doing something. We don't, we don't have to doubt that. God is doing something. He's building delight in you, even if it's delayed delight. And then he's doing all of this. He, he gives us wisdom to delight in him. He disrupts us so that we turn back to delight in him. 
so that we will understand, it's for our benefit, so we will understand our true purpose. And that's where verse 13 and 14 come in. Um, he writes, um, the end of the matter, all has been heard. So he basically is saying, this is what this is all about. This is the purpose of it, to fear God and to keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I don't know, I use the word duty to uh, keep in line with the alliteration I was trying to achieve, but the, the word, a better word there is purpose. He's saying, for this is the whole purpose of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or bad. So our duty or purpose in life is to fear God and keep his commandments. So you don't have to, if someone ever asks you, like, how do you exist? This is it, to fear God and to keep his commandments. And our minds will go to all these different things to try to justify our purpose or say we exist. It's very clear. It's very simple. And it's wise to understand the simplicity of this. Do this to understand what our purpose is. We're going to have to die to ourselves and our distorted desires for power and control and pleasure and independence, which mark that way of pride as we've talked about. And we'll have to learn to live for Christ and get in touch with the deep desires he's placed in us for true life, getting satis giving satisfaction and purpose, which marks the way of humility. And that's the way that Jesus walked. He showed us the way. He himself feared God and kept his commandments. Again, you know, fear here is, it's important to define what that fear is. This is a reverential awe and for God and keeping his commandments. That's the kind of fear that God wants us to feel, feel for him. He doesn't want us to be obsessed with worldly fears. Um, Paul Tripp, a guy who, uh, pastor, theologian, counselor, um, he had a great devotional that he sent out this week in which he was distinguishing uh, what good fear is versus, or healthy fear versus un. The title of his um, devotional was kind of provocative, but it said, uh, it, we should fear the coronavirus, but not give way to fear. And what he meant by that is he said, fear is actually a gift from God. Um, spiritually healthy fear is holy reverence and respect for God, characterized by a life of submission and surrender. It's a rapid response in us in an instinctual sense to keep us alive, to preserve life, that it manifests itself in proper concern to, be, to make wise choices, you know, wise choices like social distancing and self-quarantining in a time of unprecedented suffering, that fear helps us, it sets things right in us when it's given by unhealthy fear is when we meditate on and obsess over um, that's before us in a way that debilitates us, in a way that paralyzes us. And that's the fear that we're most naturally given into. But godly fear wakes us up. Um, we're not meant to be controlled by fear or consumed by worry. And so you have to ask yourself, does that characterize you right now? Are you being instilled with holy reverential fear or debilitating worries and fear? Um, and if, you, if, it's, if it's that debilitating worries and fear, take that to the Lord during this time. To heal my fear, give me godly fear. Give me reverential awe and respect for you and for your word, God. And I'll close with this. Um, that last verse there tells us some, some very sobering truth. It's saying, wise people understand this, that God judges every decision and choice that we make and that our choices matter. We've talked a lot about this at Flat Rock. You said the same thing. Kohela said the same thing um, in chapter 11, verse 9. It's one of the hallmarks of godly wisdom. The wise know what's at stake, just like those disciples didn't. We need to know what's at stake with every thought and decision that we make right now. 
this matters. This time matters. What we do with our time and how we handle this matters. How we treat each other during this time matters. Um, that's meant to humble us and it's meant to guide us towards humble obedience. But sadly, you know, if you're like me, uh, you fail at this kind of obedience and you make decisions and choices, especially in extreme circumstances of having to take care of kids and being stressed out and not having a lot of time to rest for yourself. Um, it leads to some unholy and uh, offensive thoughts and actions. We're not wise in our day-to-day deeds um, when we don't find our wisdom from God. We don't find it from his word. We don't, when we don't fear God, we, we're mocking him. We don't heed his word. We ignore it. We know what we should do and we don't do it. And so this frustrates us, it discourages us, it defeats us, and we deserve God's judgment for our sin. And so we have to ask, well, what do we do? We, we, look, we look to Jesus, the good shepherd, the one shepherd, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and took our shame to cover our sin. By his life and his death and his resurrection, we're saved. He endured our vanity. Coelho talks a lot about vanity. He endured our vanity to secure our victory in him. That's our hope. He has overcome the worst that life can deliver and he came out alive and we can cast all our anxieties and fears upon him. Last thought here, I was reading um, uh, in John chapter 13 about Jesus washing the disciples' feet when he instituted the Lord's Supper, which by the way, and I wish we could, um, wish we could find some way to do that uh, online uh, through Zoom. But um, Jesus, you know, when he washed the disciples' feet right before he went to the cross, the story begins with John saying this, and to be deeply comforting. It says, now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And there's a lot of hope in those words because he hasn't abandoned us to fear and to worry. He's not left us to fend for ourselves. He's always loved us as we've been in the world, as we're in the world now. And he will love us as wayward, stubborn, apathetic sheep until the end. He will see us through this. But until that end comes, we follow the way that Jesus set before us. Even in the shadow of his own death, when he took the form of a servant, I mean, that's incredible. He's going to die for the world and he is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of his disciples. And he takes the form of this humble servant to love them by washing their feet. So in fear, we respect God with holy obedience and reverential repentance. But in fear, we also, in fear of God, we let it give us opportunities to not think of ourselves, but to think of others and to serve others. And we're seeing these incredible stories. I mean, we're, we're recipients of this, of incredible service and love and humility for those who are hurting and those who are suffering prayer for all kinds of different people, prayer meetings happening online, these worship services. And this is, this is what God is doing in us. He's waking us up to this, that we might understand what our duty is, our purpose, which is to fear him, to keep his commandments. And so let that, my, my encouragement to you as I end here is just let that fuel your faith in the coming weeks of trial and temptation and struggle that we don't struggle alone. We walk with the Valley Walker, we share in the suffering together for good purpose that we might delight in him. I'll leave you with a tweet. Um, as one wise pastor put it this week, this kind of stuck with me. He said, wash hands. You know, we're talking all about washing our hands and, and doing our duty, which is, which is wise um, to keep people from getting sick. But he says, wash hands for sure. And then wash feet for the Christian, wash your hands for sure. And then wash feet. Um, take care of yourself but do it in the way to serve and love others. This is, this is the way that Christ is going to be made known to the world.